politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and all that is important. Well, what do you guys think? Did I waste my life last night staying up till 1 o'clock watching that stupid piece of garbage? Uh, Or was it instructive? I know a lot of you attended that Twitter space thing. I I still don't even know how to use it, but uh, I I promised people I had to attend, so therefore I had to watch it. Normally I would have turned it off after 10 minutes, and I, I owe it to my wife to make up the time last night just being away watching the stupidity. But in many respects... That debate is a microcosm of what the Republican Party is. A bunch of has-beens, never-beens, wannabes, and one man who has actually done everything we say we want, has the dignity to articulate it when he can, and then a network that has represented the Republican Party and the fake conservative movement for two decades— and yet they have this Sinaloa cartel woman with, with a foreign accent moderating our own debate, sounding like a lunatic. And then you have Dana Perino, the Bush woman, and then this other Stuart Varney guy who sounded drunk. And, you know, everyone's universally outraged. Oh, this is crazy. How do we have this? After 20 years of saying we would no longer do it, we're still having the left moderate our own debates. But then again, that is a microcosm of the GOP. The GOP tent is so large that there's nothing that's not in it. It's all good. All all forms of inappropriate personal behavior, homosexuality, every certain every type of public policy view, it's all good. Like I say, you will never find Joe Biden, you will never find Fetterman negating their own stated views, however many brain cells they have left. They have a tight party. And I want to tie this into the the legislative fight, the upcoming showdown. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow with Congressman Andy Biggs uh, to get you the latest headed into the weekend. And, and, And some of the votes that took place last night on these budget bills with Ukraine. The... The worst or weakest link... Among Democrats. And I'll get back to the debate a little bit, but I don't really want to spend too much time on it. If you want to hear my take on it, Steve and I were in that Twitter space. Uh, um, you know, Maybe I'll put it in show notes, but, but, but we did it for about an hour and a half. Uh, maybe Steve was there longer. I had to go to bed. But the weakest link of the Democrat Party is a hundred times stronger than what's even, you know, the the most conservative member of Congress for for Republicans. I want to show you what a party is. I want to show you what a movement is. Kirsten Cinema. Okay, let's start off with that. If I had to ask you who is, from a liberal perspective, the weakest Democrat, you'd say Kirsten Cinema, senator from Arizona, because on paper she actually officially left the Democrat Party. Now it's a joke. She caucuses with them. But she, uh, she's registered independent. So she left. You know, she's a moderate, so to speak, right? But they're moderate. 
not only doesn't really betray the movement and the party on a single major issue, but more than that, they serve as an effective honey trap to work with Republicans to get them on board for bipartisan support of left-wing initiatives. That's how brilliant the Democrat Party is. Again, Kirsten Cinema, name your issue. Tranny stuff, Ukraine, the vaccines, any amount of spending, green energy. Which issue does she dissent from the Democrat Party? None. It's really the magnitude and the tone of a couple of things, how far she'll go. But this is from Politico. Fewer than 24 hours after the Senate released its stopgap funding bill, some Senate Republicans are calling for changes to ease its path in the GOP House. So basically, they're trying to see how do we jam the Republican House with a, a CR. So they're trying to say is, and I, I warned you they were going to do this two months ago. I said Biden was brilliantly moving the Overton window, meaning not only are we going to fund record spending, debt, crippling inflation. I, I mean, we have spent, <laughs> we, we have been averaging $20 billion a day for the last five days. You know, it's accelerated. And that's why the treasury yields are spiking. A lot of people think, oh, it's only the feds have to decide to raise the federal funds rate. So just don't raise interest rates so we don't have this crushing problem with housing and, you know, everything. But, to and I agree with some of that. What Powell is doing is it's, you know, kept them too low and then raised them too quickly. But the, the yields are going to go up no matter what. So the mortgage rates are going to go up no matter what by virtue of the amount of, of debt we're servicing. It is, we just said that, what was it, last week, we all talked about, powering through 33 trillion we broke the 33 trillion mark we're already another 150 billion past that remember how long it would take to go through a 1 trillion i mean this is f- 5 days so biden is like hey we're going to fund all that but you know what we're going to have another 24 billion for ukraine and I always said it was designed to give McCarthy an out, where eventually they're going to say, yeah, we need this plus the 24 billion. Well, actually, you know what? This plus 6 billion. And then now they're going to say, we're going to be so magnanimous. We're not going to demand any new funding in this bill, at least for Ukraine, but a CR funding everything else. And that's what they're working to do. Okay. Shelly Moore Capito, West Virginia. I don't think the CR is the one we're going to vote on. There's border issues that we could attach to it. We'll make it a little bit more comfortable. I think there'll be changes. But ultimately, she dunked on House conservatives. But Senator Kirsten Sinema, who has worked with Tillis on immigration issues, is working with congressional Republicans on a path forward on the border. Because basically, you know what she's going to do she's going to throw in more hiring of border agents, right? Not not prohibiting catch and release, prohibiting parole, pro- prohibiting, right? That's the only thing you could do is shut it down. Throw more money at the border, which means throwing more money at catch and release and the human smuggling, cartel smuggling. And I look at it and like Kirsten, Cinema also is a very, um, she's very flirtatious with the Republican men. So she's like a honey trap. 
And she gets them to work on Amnesty. She's working with Tillis and Cornyn and now getting them to pass the CR to Jim, House Republicans. This is the weakest weakest Democrat senator. And that's how strong and committed and effective she is in advancing their goals. You look at even our most conservative ones like Mike Lee, and there's big issues like crime and, and visas where he's often on the wrong side of. Every one of them. I mean, Ted Cruz is one of the best ones, but then he was bad on Ukraine. And it's it just one after another. We, 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 we can't have nice things. Again, DeSantis is the only one that fights for us on nearly every issue. But we don't have that. And that's what the debate was. It's all good. Fox News represents the movement. Univision does. Open Borders. It all goes because we don't believe in anything. We don't patrol anything. And I know this is a little off topic. And I don't want to get distracted because he's not going to go anywhere. But I'm seeing a lot of my colleagues praise Doug Burgum. Oh, he's the adult who has substantive, conservative, smart answers on the the questions. It is malpractice if you're going to do this full time for a living. Not to know who's who and what's what in politics. Oh, Vivek sounds nice. Bulgum sounds like... You don't know who the hell that he is. He is Bill Gates' business partner. He would have run as a Democrat in a, in a, if it wouldn't have been a Republican state like North Dakota. He has vetoed every last thing we tried to do in the legislature. He vetoed banning porn in the schools, banning the pronouns, banning porn in the libraries, uh, tranny surgery stuff. Um, school choice even, which every Republican, even Rhino's support, he vetoed that. Um, he, he talked about energy and fighting China and we need energy. He, in his state of the state address, he said we need to be, we're going to be carbon neutral in North Dakota by 2030. Literally pushed agenda 2030. Malpractice. I mean, this is the problem. We're, we're led by the, it's the blind leading the blind, a bunch of idiots. They don't believe in anything. They don't know anything. So that's how you have a Republican party where it comes a primary and anyone could just get up there. They could screw us on every major issue, but they could just get up there and say what we want to hear. Oh, that sounds nice. So again, to be fair, there's nothing new about Donald Trump screwing us on every major policy and personnel issue and everyone still being attached to him because frankly... They're attached to every Republican. So this is what we have in the Republican Party. And then obviously Ukraine. I have the passion of Mike Pence and Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. The passion. You never see a fraction of that passion on anything other than other country's citizens. Really, I, I want you guys to think about this. When you listen to Republicans... It's not grift. You know, with other issues, it's donors, it's corporate politics, pharma. I don't think it's the military-industrial complex. I don't think it's just the defense contractors alone. There is something ideological there, and I can't figure it out. Is there a genetic mutation for that? They they, They are willing to die for Ukraine. The border invasion, the balls cutting, the cultural rock cut... The decline of our civilization, 17 million likely died from the vaccines. And it doesn't phase them. They're like, we have to beat Russia. Like, wait, 
you've spent a year and a half and well over $100 billion averaging how much we spent on Afghanistan when we were involved kinetically. And it hasn't done anything. And it just doesn't phase them. That is the Republican Party. That is the legacy of a distracted, phony movement that focuses on, but the yeah, but the Democrats, and doesn't police their own. In a sane world, someone like a Doug Burgum, someone like a Nikki Haley, someone like a Tim Scott, someone like a Mitch McConnell shouldn't be able to raise their heads above water in our circles. And yes, someone like a Donald Trump shouldn't either, but it's par for the course. Speaking of actually believing in in our own talking points, you know, for 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They've been big supporters of of the Blaze. And we need to support them because we're supporting ourselves. What is the reason you wouldn't switch? Typically, if you want to find some off-brand conservative companies, like, well, the service won't be as good. It's more expensive. It's not. I mean, literally, the customer service is better. 972 Patriot, all English speaking, I guarantee you they won't sound like that Sinaloa cartel moderator from last night. PatriotMobile.com slash CR, you get free activation with offer code CR. And that means you can make the switch, keep your number, keep your phone, except you're supporting a company that actually donates to Sanctity of Life, religious freedom, free speech, and things we believe in. Uh, unlike T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon. So make the switch today, patriotmobile.com slash CR, or call 972-PATRIOT. I want to read to you a column. It speaks to the presidential election. It speaks to the GOP Senate, Kevin McCarthy. It speaks to the primary elections, everything we're going through. And the title of the column, it was at Fox Opinion, Building a GOP majority on quicksand. It was almost 10 years to the day, minus a month, October 25th, 2013. Now it's going to talk about some issues that were more relevant then, although I would argue they're still relevant today. And I'll try, I'm going to read a, a good portion of it. From listening to the banal musings of Inside the Beltway Republicans, one would come away with the impression that we're just six Senate seats away from curing all political and policy ills. Just to interject, uh, if you were, you know, at that point, Republicans had taken back the House and they were like, oh, we need to win the Senate. And I guess they had 44 seats then or 45. These wizards of smart believe that we must refrain from engaging in risky policy battles until after the next election when presumably we stand to win back the Senate. To that end, they accuse some conservative groups of working to undermine a Republican majority, both by engaging in unwinnable fights and by working to replace incumbent Republicans instead of focusing exclusively on growing our numbers from 45 senators to 51. This line of thought obfuscates an inconvenient truth about the state of the Senate GOP conference and prevents Republicans from working to build an enduring conservative majority in the Senate. Conservatives need to confront the fact that Democrats enjoy a de facto 75 to 80 seat governing majority on many critical issues. While House Republicans united to fight Obamacare, besides Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, almost every Senate Republican worked to sabotage the effort. Instead of using their filibuster strong minority to enable House Republicans to jam 
the Democrat-controlled Senate with legislation, Senate Republicans empowered Senator Harry Reid, who was the then-majority leader, to jam the House. Doesn't this sound familiar? This occurred both at the beginning of the showdown and at the end when McConnell undercut Republicans by unilaterally surrendering everything to Senator Reid. Only 19 Republicans voted to block Harry Reid from reinserting Obamacare funding into the continuing resolution on September 27th, literally today, 10 years ago to the day, and only 16 Republicans voted to block the final surrender. Remember how I said yesterday, 19 Republicans voted to proceed yesterday on um, this CR to jam the House. Literally, same dynamic. They controlled the House, but not the Senate. Democrat president, same dynamic 10 years ago to the day. But let me continue. Some Republicans claim we shouldn't use this past legislative battle as a litmus test because many members supposedly sided with us in theory, but opposed the strategy. However, they failed to notice how many Senate Republicans give aid and comfort to Democrats on an array of liberal priorities. When Democrats proposed the 1,200-page amnesty bill, which would have hampered future enforcement and perpetual and perpetuated lawlessness, 14 Republicans voted for the bill. A number of others were sympathetic to the cause and only refrained from voting for final passage after their phone lines melted down. And once again, just like with Obamacare, not a single Democrat crossed party lines on the issue. Senate Republicans also agreed to confirm all of Obama's cabinet appointees for a second term with very little dissent. They passed a massive farm food stamp bill with 20 Republican votes. In February, Republicans helped pass a radical iteration of the deceptively named Violence Against Women's Act by 78 to 22. In March, 27 Republicans voted for a job-killing internet sales tax. In almost all these instances, every Democrat, even those from red states, stood firm with their party leadership. Meanwhile, Republican leaders such as Mitch McConnell, John Cornyn, and John McCain either publicly or privately sided with the Democrats, creating a surrender faction of the Republican Party. Often, they even refused to whip for the conservative position, leaving conservatives with no leverage or power. The, the, the vacuum of leadership has allowed the McConnell-Cornyn-McCain faction to continuously grow and even include many members from solid conservative states. And, you know, again, I, I go through all these different votes they took and different things that happened. And I note... With recent history in mind, does anyone really think that a bare minimum Senate majority built upon the same members with Mitch McConnell as leader would produce better results for conservatives? And again, I want you guys to think about this as the time we live in. Even in the best case scenario, Democrats would have a robust and united filibuster strong minority in 2015. The 20 to 25 Republicans who empower Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer this year will continue to do so after 2014. Furthermore, Senator McConnell has already promised that he will never engage in brinkmanship to force a fight over Obamacare. Remember, this is what he's saying. Um, that he will never use a budget bill because we can never have a shutdown. So you, so you take that to its logical conclusion. Like I said, Republicans will never get 60 seats in the Senate. So they could pass whatever they want, have the House, have the Senate, have the White House. But Democrats will you know, fight our budget. And if you're not willing to fight through it, you'll have a shutdown. So taken to its logical conclusion, you always have to give the Dems what they what they want. And the only way to build an enduring majority is to elect game-changing conservatives, especially in our most conservative states, to join the ranks of the few unwavering fighters. 
Much like the Democrat majority, which is built upon solid progressives from blue states and surreptitious progressives from other states, an enduring conservative foundation with a clear and united message can challenge the Democrats and actually win. But that would require changing the status quo and challenging the current field le- failed leadership. That would require courage and principle, which we don't have. So that column, a lot of you might be wondering, who in the world thought along these lines 10 years ago? These are funny a funny way of thinking i don't really see republicans you know thumb-sucking conservative commentators speak like that well the answer is that column was written by none other than yours truly (laughs) i wrote that 10 years ago fox opinion um they actually took some columns from me back then until elaine chow mcconnell's wife who's on the board or was at the time made sure that that suddenly stopped but the one who was running that page at the time liked my stuff Building a GOP majority on quicksand. And just so you know, this was long before Trump became a thing and anyone knew he was going to run or become president. I've been fighting these same battles. There's nothing new. I was warning about Mitch McConnell when it actually mattered. And I was laughed off. I remember Laura Ingram, all these people. She called McConnell a willy guy, a smart guy. Like, what, what are you, you know, what are you fighting him, Daniel? And now everyone's a hero when it no longer matters. And the cancer grew so much 10 years ago. If they would have followed my lead, we could have changed the Senate. Now it's too late. They have an insurmountable supermajority. But maybe 10 guys that, 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 that we could work with. Big tent, baby. So the debate last night is nothing new. It's par for the course. It is par for the course. We could laugh off Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, but they are not the exception. They are the rule. They reflect the Republican Party. Even in the House, which is heralded as the most conservative Republican conference we've ever had, only 85 Republicans voted against cluster munitions to Ukraine, and only 93 voted for the Matt Gates Amendment to bar any use of funding for Ukraine and the DOD approves bill. Now, it, it looks like they're actually going to redo the bill in Rules Committee and actually take it out in order to try to get it passed. But the point is, only a third of the more conservative body of Republicans, even a year, I mean, at the beginning, almost everyone supported it, but even a year and a half into the scam, where nobody could look at it and say that there is an outcome that makes sense, that there's no grift going on, I mean, nobody could look at it and and, and say that. And this is what we have. The Republican Party has not changed one iota with Trump. That was 10 years ago. Interject Trump. And nothing has changed. He made the establishment great again. He endorsed all these people. He endorsed their very line of thinking. We can't have a default. We can't have a government shutdown. That's what he said at the time. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Lie to you guys? There's something about fighting every issue that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters for 15 years with straight continuity. I've been involved in all these fights. I have a paper trail on that. I was telling someone last night the irony of Doug Burgum. It's not like I spent the time to dig up some oppo research on this guy. Oh, who's this guy? 
I can't imagine he's a conservative. Let me go find something. I wrote a column at the time he gave that State of the State address, long before I ever thought he'd run for president. This is what I've been doing. I'm like, well, we say the Republican Party's our party. We say the conservative movement's our movement. So if you have people that are undermining our most sacred beliefs within our party, shouldn't that be our primary focus? But it's not. So that's how you're able to have debates of by and for candidates that that don't share our values, moderators that don't share our values. And that's why the most important outcome last night was DeSantis turning to Hannity and saying, I call on Trump to have a one-on-one debate. I'm seeing everyone, everyone saying, oh, this format is terrible. Everyone agrees. There's one way to solve that. Well, two observations. First of all, everyone's like, the RNC sucks for agreeing to this. The RNC is Rona Romney. She is only in that position because of Trump. Let me make this very clear. This wasn't a scenario where he, she didn't really have opposition and Trump was sitting president, sitting party. Trump is, is, was not sitting president. He interjected himself when we had a legitimate, universal, well-liked by all factions candidate in Hermit Dillon to challenge DeSantis, by the way, endorsed her meat. And he interjected himself to save her. He get, I, People will literally say, I hate M- McCarthy and, and, and Romney. I'm voting for Trump. I'm like, are you trolling me? It's a mental illness. The guy takes no responsibility for anything. So that's number one. We only have this because of Romney. And by the way, it's done to help Trump. Because what you do is... You put DeSantis in a seven-car pileup with a bunch of losers where there's no dignity, and, and it's hard for him to stand out. Actually, I think he did a very good job standing out last night, um, making the best of a bad situation. But anyone with a shred of intellectual honesty, even if you support Trump, but if you support what you think he will fight for but won't, more than you support him as a person, you should agree that what is best for us, what's the problem? That we have a debate to the left with all these distracting neocon candidates, with distracting moderators. What we need is a panel of people, and again, I'm not saying I respect them, but people like Hannity, people like Tucker, that are very pro-Trump, throw, you know, throw, throw him, I think a great guy would be Bongino. He's endorsed Trump. That's fine. Right? Because it has to be someone who endorsed Trump because otherwise he's scared. He's very scared. Right? So he needs a, he needs a, you know, he needs help. Trump needs help. So he needs someone that has actively endorsed him to be the moderator. But that's fine. That's fine. So all three names I just mentioned support Trump, I mean, Hannity has been his butt boy for years, although he has been fair to DeSantis. This is kind of interesting. Have all three, one of the three, two of the three. Have Sean Davis, Molly Hemingway, some of the Federalist people. Again, all all supportive of Trump. And have them moderate. Have Candace Owens. Big Trump supporter. I mean, someone who is along those lines. One-on-one, two hours. So we don't have to rush through that you have to, like, find some contrived game show soundbite. 
They both have records. We need that. We need it. Because, frankly, even as a DeSantis supporter, I don't want him, I wouldn't want him to run away with it. We are pandered to in a primary. That is the time to get commitments. And the problem is, Trump running to the left puts less pressure on DeSantis to innovate even more to the right, which we would want. That's the problem. This thing needs to be reset. But of course, they're not intellectually honest. And they know that the two of them together discussing issues and and um, and policies and records will create multiple Fetterman moments for Trump. And they just won't do it. There's no honesty. Oh, no, it's a clever strategy. Yeah, it might be a clever strategy for him to shut out the people. But is it what's good for us? I thought populism was about us, not not one man. You know, I want to play a clip for you. Um, Steve Dace was on the Tom Woods show debating this guy, Gavin Wax. I don't, I don't know who he is, but he's a big Trump surrogate. And the guy literally says, yeah, Trump makes makes up stuff about DeSantis all the time, and it's it's a good strategy. Take a listen. Let me jump in. I'm going to ask Steve a question. Hey, John, did and your th- question get answered there? Uh, I, 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 I'll repeat it. I'll repeat no, it. No, he didn't, didn't answer your question at all, actually, it's, Tom. No, his question was, well. do, you think, do you think there's any substance to these retruths or whatever he was posting online? And I made it very clear. I don't think that there is any substance behind that in terms of where his position is, but I think that these are actually brilliant tactical moves that Trump is doing to force your camp on the defensive, and they're working. So uh, I, I, I encourage him to continue to do that because the more you guys have to debate, you encourage him to continue uh, to keep lying. Lot's record on COVID. No, well, well, no, 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 So, folks, we could laugh at that clip, but that is a pervasive thought process among Trump supporters. I will never, in my mind, I'm sure I've made a mistake in my career, I will never push a line of attack on a candidate that I don't believe to be true, at least in my mind. I won't make stuff stuff up. They're totally fine. Like, yeah, it's brilliant. It puts Knox DeSantis off his game, distracts. That's what they want. That's our big tent. We don't care about zealously and intrepidly focusing on objective truths, objective good, what we believe in, and ensuring that anyone who wears our jersey to the best of our ability projects that and represents that in his positions, in his actions, in his record, and yes, in his personal life as well. We don't care. We just don't care. That is a debate that that nobody in the public wants. And the reason they don't want it is because it is the most threatening to the system. Right now, they have a great dichotomy where either you have the McConnell, you know, Republicans, the Nikki Haley Republicans, 
or to the extent you have what's called more the MAGA Trump Republicans, they're packaged in a way where they're ineffective, inarticulate, have a lot of baggage, you know, often do, even if they give voice to an issue, but they do harm to that issue. There is something about a man who just carried Florida by 20 points on the most conservative, not message, but implementation of anyone, probably any Republican governor in American history, especially given the times we live in, do it in a way that is authentic, sounds like a public servant, it's dignified, it's resolute, but he gets it done, doesn't make a fool of himself, doesn't make a fool of us, there's no drama. There's something very threatening about that. And that's why they have to have a 10-car pileup. And by the way, that's why, when in history have you ever had a debate stage where they name number one, two, by your position and poll, so DeSantis is center, and they start off with every other candidate. Uh, Tim Scott got three questions before DeSantis even got one. He wasn't called upon until 23 minutes into it. There's a reason for that. There's a reason. They cannot have it. Well, Another thing I found amazing was when DeSantis talked about his military service, Dana Perino butted in and said, oh, let's not forget Nikki Haley's husband. Wait, you're comparing the spouse of a candidate to the candidate himself? Why did she need to do that? Because she had to step on that point. Because it's a very important point. You go back, you know, in the days of Bob Dole and H. Bush. So it was very common the World War II generation, or even Vietnam to a certain extent, but certainly World War II, where, you know, candidates of both parties, they served in the military. We had a draft after all. But increasingly now, what guy who goes to Harvard and Yale then leaves that to serve in the military? And, you know, again, he wasn't, he, he doesn't overstate what he did, he was a lawyer, but he wasn't a stateside lawyer. He was with the SEALs, you know, because they have to deal with stupid lawfare that they shouldn't, in Ramadi, in the Sunni Triangle at the worst time. Meaning, so it doesn't matter if you're a SEAL, not a SEAL, if you're infantry or not infantry, but if you're you were on the ground there, you were getting blown up by IEDs. So there was, you know, if once you are there, that is front line. Whatever, you know, whether you're, uh, you know, an operator or infantry. And uh, they don't want people to know that because that's very revealing about who he is. He literally believes in things and will fight for it. It's, it, I know it's a weird novel concept. They cannot allow that. And by the way, another thing that they cannot allow is any discussion about the V word. This is the second Fox debate, not a word about the thing that killed 15 to 17 million people. They just cannot allow it. And we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep spinning our wheels. Okay, I, I, I want you to understand when I wrote that column, it literally sounds like what I wrote about the current battle with the Senate Republicans 10 years later. Nothing has changed. 
we have roughly the same orientation. Maybe you have a couple of new freshmen like Ted Budd or J.D. Vance on some issues. That's good. But, you know, we lost some old ones. We had people like Jim DeMint back then. We haven't made any gains. We have one conservative governor. We have a handful in the Senate. And we have, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 per 20 percent, depending on the issue, in the House. That is it. Mitch McConnell, we could laugh at him all he wants. All we want, he still owns the party. And then again, to the extent we have people that will rail against it, it's just talking point deep. It's the Vivek thing. Just come read the room of what conservative uh, pundits want to hear at a given point, but it will never take us anywhere. It's a bridge to nowhere. This is the thing. I'm not here to do horse race. I don't know what will and will not happen. Do I think DeSantis has a path? Especially in Iowa, the CBS poll showed that, that most voters really aren't paying attention and committed. Absolutely he does. Is it the most likely scenario? I don't know. But that says something about the man's character. Remember, he's 45. He could have been universally loved by the right. Simply waiting. And he would be governor. Again, he's still going to be governor until the next midterm. So he could just run, go straight into governance from governance to just running for president. And if you're a betting man, you believe the Democrats are going to win against Trump. So you, so it's even easier to win in 2028 because you're coming off real fatigue from the Democrats. There's no way they're going to carry it again. But we'll be dead by then. He's running because we're out of time. This is the one, I've only met him one time on the ground this year. And that was the one thing I asked him. I said, do you really need this bullcrap in your life? Do your kids really need this? Is it really worth it? I promise you, I, I, I said to him, I was like, for the political capital you're expending running for president, you could have tried to change the term limit law and, and be governor for another um, another term maybe. But his point was, we're out of time. And there's nobody changing the game. See, if we saw a bunch of DeSantis's coming up alongside of him, people doing what he's doing and even better, then we'd be, we'd be able to say, look, you know, all right, let Trump run, he'll lose. And, uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll fight back in the red states. But until you have a leader who is plowing a path that I'm not freaking white trash. I'm not a retard. But I believe in things and will fight for things. And I'm not a chambercrat. We're not going to get that. Show me in the, along the map. Where do we have a prospect of getting even one additional individual who you know will not just talk the game, but govern at least the way DeSantis did? Show me where that is. I've been saying this for several years as of now. There's one thing if it was all the old guard, but all the new ones are there like, yeah, they're, you know, okay, so over time we're going to flush the system. No. Now, they might just be more in tune a little bit more with the talking points than some of the fossils, the 80, 90-year-old fossils in the Senate. But it's talking point deep. 
What do you think the fossils did when they were originally elected in the 90s? They countenanced and indulged the given conservative talking points of that time. There's nothing new about it. That's why these game shows are stupid. With the exception of Ukraine, which is remarkable, foreign policy, on every other issue, they're going to tell us what we want to hear. But there's a reason it never gets done. Identity politics, corporate politics, and money. And as we've noted, all those things, this, this guy just doesn't care. He just doesn't freaking care. Okay? I found with DeSantis, the extent you'll ever find that he, he like, he doesn't go as far as you want him to go, it will never be because of a donor or he's scared politically. It's all he has to know that it's something he could achieve. And again, I, I, I don't understand I don't understand what more you need to see. And my colleagues know this. They all know it, but they're too scared. They don't want to say anything. They think Trump is inevitable, and they don't want to be on the wrong side of that. But you know what? I've been on the wrong side of almost every battle. I've been on the wrong side of everything. Not on the right side of ju- on the wrong side of justice, but on you know political wins. I I never understood it. I was like, I don't think that candidate will win, so I'm not voting for him. Well, who do you think is the right one? I mean, it's bizarre. With the exception of the caucuses, most states it's a secret ballot. I mean, (laughs) what do you care? But that's the psychology of a lot of voters. And and what's what's funny about my colleagues is let's say let's just say over the next month something would happen and DeSantis would pull even with Trump in Iowa. I promise you a good number of them, their attitudes will change. It's pathetic. It's the blind leading the blind. So everyone's going to go and wring their hands over the debate last night and the stupidity of the moderators and the entire format But it's par for the course for what these people support. And those very people, a lot of them are supporting Trump and support his decision. Like, this format sucks. Yeah, well, you know what format wouldn't suck? If the top 20 names in conservative politics would put pressure on Trump, you need to debate DeSantis one-on-one with a moderator we all appreciate. What is so hard about that? But they scared they scared because they know they know exactly what would happen with that you know all the optics and the the lies that's not going to work that man will have to sit there for two hours and defend his policies and personnel and that ain't going to work out well for him but anyway in the remaining time I want I want to just get to some of the COVID stuff Because again, warp speed is still going on. Trump praised all these therapeutics. Remember when he said in the interview with Megyn Kelly, it was the vaccines and all the therapeutics. I was the first one to tell you about this Molnipiravir, Merck's drug, but now it turns out 
it has created mutations. So not only is it the more you inject, the more you infect, that all of these, uh, all the vaccines are, you know, which is why COVID is never going away, but Molnupiravir, it turns out, have caused a bunch of mutations. And it's the findings um, is published in Nature. Numerous strands of evidence suggest Molnupiravir can occasionally produce highly mutated but viable forms of COVID virus. And by the way, I have no doubt that Paxlovid is doing that as well. You know, we have almost 47,000 fatalities in Udra Vigilance, which is the European theirs. 47,000, 4.7 million injuries. No discussion. Again, if you have 47,000 deaths reported, you could imagine the under-reporting factor on that. But again, no discussion of anything. You know, this is another way we get distracted. I, I see a lot of um, a lot of people are talking about Brad Wenstrup of the Coronavirus Subcommittee reporting that they found Fauci was escorted into CIA headquarters without any record of entry and participated in some sort of influence session to get the CIA to lie about the origins of COVID. Again, this is a classic example of when someone points to the moon, the idiot focuses on the finger. They're always focused on side issues. It's not a matter of the origins of it. It's not a matter of Fauci. It's not a matter of the cover-up of the origins. It's vaccine research itself. It's the vaccines themselves. It's warp speed itself. You know, the Norwegian Institutes of Health, they, this is like the Norwegian NIH, they found that up to 14% of women in their survey experienced heavy vaginal bleeding with the vaccines. And you tell me that's not affecting any of um any of what we see with with the birth rates. You know what's crazy? You want to talk about death of a civilization in in one uh one chart. This guy Chief Nerd on Twitter puts out great information. He showed that we are on pace this year to have more illegal aliens than babies born. Now, again, obviously, birth rates have been plummeting uh, over time, but it's a certain gradual pace. And of course, it shows a precipitous drop the last year and a half. We know why. Because of the clot shots. It's, uh, I want to say, like on pace for maybe 3.4 million babies born. And probably majority of them will be born to foreigners good number of illegals themselves. That's the irony. And then we're right now we're annual we're averaging the last couple of weeks an annualized pace of four million illegals. And those are the, just the ones we catch. And nothing matters. Nothing will change anything. And then of course we are on to uh the RSV shots. I mean, how could we turn away from this? Every pregnant woman is going to be convinced to get this thing that is going to do horrible, horrible things. Igor Chudov has an amazing piece 
Folks, th- this I can't believe we're living this. I can't believe that no amount of information that comes out about these shots matters and we're on to the next one. Remember, RSV came from a lab in 1955 when researchers were screwing with monkeys at Walter Reed and they created RSV. RSV is man-made. It is vaccine research made. That's what gain of function is. It's not some random like, oh, Chinese sinister thing in Wuhan. Wuhan is not the point. It's one of many locations, but it's being run more by the U.S. than China. But anyway, we now have GSK and Pfizer's RSV shots are nearly identical in composition. Okay? Both vaccines were approved for pregnant mothers, and they cause an increase in premature births and infant deaths. Remember, remember, Scotland is reporting double-digit increases in neonatal deaths. So anyway, I want you guys to think about this. GSK's data showed 238 preterm births out of 3,496, so 6.8% in the vaccine arm and 4.9% in the placebo arm. That's a big signal. That is a big, big signal. So these were preterm births. And... In the Pfizer trial, it was even worse. It was 5.3% in the trial arm and 2.6% placebo arm. Yet GSK pulled their shot because of it, and Pfizer's was approved. I, I Sorry if I misspoke before. GSK's was approved for seniors, but their pregnant women shot was not. But Pfizer's, which is identical and had the same problem, is, is totally, totally fine. Totally approved. Remember, all these women are going to go to their OBG. They're going to say, you see all these babies getting RSV, which they will now, thanks to the COVID shots, creating an increase in respiratory viruses. And um, it's just unbelievable. So he... um. He gathers the data here and says an increase in preterm deaths of 2% would lead to 73,285 additional preterm births. Okay? And so that's, that's, that's a preterm births. And as you well know, when you're creating 73,000 more preterm births, you're going to create many more deaths and potentially, you know, just lifelong illnesses. I mean, preterm is never good. Sometimes they could live normal lives, and often they do, but often they don't. And then in addition, what about the neonatal deaths? In GSK, it was 6.8%. In the vaccine arm, 4.9%. Placebo arm, statistically significant. Um... 
And it looks like there was a lot of overlap. In other words, a lot of the neonatal deaths were in the preterm babies. And there you go. There you go. So, basically, he comes out with the fact, Zygar Chudov, that it would kill 4,000 newborns. And we could, we, we, we could just say, well, as long as there's no mandate. But first of all, if, if you don't stop it, it will be mandated because this will be put on the child vaccination schedule. I mean, this is the one they've been gunning for forever. So right now it's being given to pregnant women for babies, but but very soon then they're going to do it on babies and children themselves. I, I, I just don't understand. We don't care about anything. We don't care about a continuity of outcomes, strategies, legislation, primary elections. You know, I just want to close with this, tying everything together. The congressional fight, the debate, presidential election... I hear one argument from some people that try to be a little bit more intellectual and strategic about supporting Trump, and they have this accelerationist ar- argument where they basically say that, look, you know, tr- yeah, Trump's not going to get in there and do anything. He's probably not going to win anyway, but this will just accelerate the point of like where things will just blow up. And again, I'm, on paper, I've said all the time, that's my strategy. If you can't make people see the light, make them feel the pain. The worst you could have is be in this perpetual situation forever. But Trump actually does that. First of all, they think he will win. They, they vacillate the same people and say, fool themselves into thinking he will win. So we're wasting all our time putting energy into that. And B, it's not like they're preparing for the future. It's not like they're like, Daniel, we have all these, look, you know, all these amazing candidates that are like DeSantis. And this is the problem. There's one thing if you're like, yeah, I love DeSantis. We need to promote him. We need to promote what he's doing. We need to shame other governors into being like that, other candidates. But I, for whatever reason, want to support Trump. Accelerationist. Okay, but but then there's something you're going to accelerate into. National divorce is the only thing you can do. You can like I could I could hear an idea that if you create a bunch of new a bench based on, let's say, what I want to do, which is abolish primaries in favor of caucuses and state conventions because we always get better candidates that way on average. And then you create 15 more Floridas. And then if you would do that, each one, including Florida, would be 10 times better. I give the example 100 times how DeSantis said, I will work with other governors to have a state base to just have the states take over deportations. But no one will work with him because every governor sucks. Every single one. Every one. It's not changing, okay? But look, you know, we're not going to fix that federal level. We need national divorce. We can't share a country with these people. So let's just have us lose the election to Biden or whoever else, and, and then it, 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 people lose all hope in that, and they go to just move to red states and make them red. But not only aren't they doing it, they're making it harder. They're making it harder because they're allowing these grifting candidates to attach themselves to Trump, and Trump endorses them, and we get horrible candidates. We now have that Christy Nome is the future, but DeSantis is garbage, so we're not getting that. Moreover, Trump is so toxic that it's not just losing the election. We're going to lose many areas of red states, even if we don't lose statewide. So this is all nonsense. 
we 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 got to move on from this. We got to think strategically, and I have the record to show that, you know, I I have been fighting this long before Trump. You know, I'm not going to change what I'm what what I believe and what I say because of him. We're gonna keep focusing on what matters, and obviously, right now, the government shutdown thing is the big thing. Focus on that tomorrow. Let me know your questions for Congressman Andy Biggs. Till then, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no armed guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. (laughs) 